0: Thank you Helen and Charlie. Yes, do come to the upper room. It is very, very good. And as Charlie said earlier, it's better to come to the upper room than spend the night watching Netflix or Amazon Prime or something like that. It really will be an amazing time for you. Okay, well, hi. Good morning. How are you? Good? Not saying very much this morning. Oh, okay. Fair enough. I'll do all the talking if that's okay. It's 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 it, it's fine. So thank you to all you guys who've come out and and braved the the weather to come here today. I know the BBC has said that don't come out unless it's really, really important. I personally think that that coming to church, being in the community of believers, followers of Jesus is really important. So thank you for doing that this morning. I do appreciate it. So for those of you who don't know me, hi, I'm Paul. I'm one of the pastors here at Central Vineyard, and it is lovely to see you this morning. Today, I'm launching a new series uh, that we're going to be covering over the coming weeks called More Than a Name. And this is a series where we look at the name of God. But more than that, we look at what God's name says about God, and what it means for how we relate to God, and that it is more than a name. But first, when I say the word God, what do you think of? Hopefully, if you're a follower of Jesus, you think of the God of the Bible. But nowadays, there's no guarantee of that. We need to remind ourselves that actually in the West, we live in a post-Christian culture. There was a time when you could say the word God in the West and the majority of people would think of the God that we read about in the Bible, the God we see in Jesus. But no longer. Those days are long gone. Now when you say God, people might think any number of things, depending on your country of birth, your culture, your language, your religion, your upbringing, even your experience of church. Maybe even the shows that you watch or the songs that you listen to. A few years ago, Ariana Grande's song, God is a Woman. Or even more recent song, Tiesto believes that God is a dancer. I happen to agree with that one. So who is God? Is God a he or a she? A they or or in it? Is God in the trees and the plants? Or is God a force, like Star Wars style? Or is God just a myth that is no longer relevant in a scientific world? Let's assume for now that there is an all-powerful being that created everything, a being that we will call God. And God, um, so if there is this all-powerful being, Called God, what is God like? Is God kind or cruel? Good or evil? Is God close by and involved intimately in our daily lives? Or is God aloof and distant? Is God strict and upright, basically no fun at all? Or is God really chilled, easygoing, progressive, who just loves to party? Who is this God that the world loves, hates, blasphemes, worships, trusts, doubts, or simply just ignores? Everyone has a picture of God. Everyone has an opinion of God. Even if that opinion is that God is simply a myth and doesn't exist. The Christian pastor and author A.W. Tozer wrote, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That's an incredible statement, don't you think? Yes. All right, we're going to be quiet today. That's fair enough. The most important thing about us is what comes to mind when we think of God. Toza goes on to explain that by writing... Were we able to extract from any man a complete answer to the question, what comes to your mind when you think about God? We might predict with certainty the spiritual future of that man. Were we able to know exactly what our most influential religious leaders think of God today? We might be able, with some precision, to foretell where the church will stand tomorrow. Really? Wow. Why is it that what comes to mind when we think of God so important? That the spiritual future of not only you as an individual, but also the church as a whole, that it's at stake. Tozer explains. We tend by secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. Okay, I'm moving. It's fine. That is so true. You may have heard before that we become what we worship. If we worship a God that we believe is homophobic, racist, and mad at the world, then guess what? It's very likely that you will be homophobic, racist, and mad at the world. If Similarly, if we worship a God that we believe is really progressive, that says that all things are possible, and all, th- sorry, all things are permissible, you know, the equivalent of a cosmic life coach, then guess what? We will also think that all things are permissible. That there are no absolutes. There is no universal right or wrong. We go around saying things like, you just be you. Okay, I may have upset people on both sides of the political spectrum, both left and right there, so I think I'm in good standing. But it is true, humanity has since creation wanted to make God in our own image, despite the fact that we were made in the image of God. It has been said that God created man in his own image, and man, being a gentleman, returned The favour. The problem with that is now the world has so many ideas about God that are simply wrong. It's so important that what we think about God is right. Rather than creating a God in our own mind and heart that loves all the things that we love and hates all the things that we hate, what we think of God needs to be aligned to the Bible. Let me go off very briefly, if you know me that's completely untrue, but very briefly on a tangent. Some of you know that I love theology. Now some of you might think, well that's fine for someone who's a bit geeky and into that kind of thing like me, but it really isn't for you guys. If that is the case, let me just put something out there. I happen to believe That theology is vital and important to us all, not just the geeks. Theology is made up of two Greek words, theo, which means God, and logos, which means word. So theology is literally a word about God. It's what comes to mind when we think about God. We all have a theology, whether we know it or not. We have thoughts, opinions, and convictions about God. Theology is about ensuring that those thoughts, opinions, and convictions about God align to what God says about himself in the Bible through Scripture. At Central Vineyard, we do have some options available, just a little bit of an advert, um, do have some options available to you in terms of getting more involved in theology. Um... Don't have the time to go into all of them right now. But it's about studying what God says about himself. And if you do want to know more, please do come see me or or, or see Michelle and we'll help you with some of those. Okay, back on track. So we have a tendency to create or make God in our own image. And to avoid doing that, to ensure that what we believe about God is true and right, We need to go back to the source. As followers of Jesus, that means going back to Scripture, to the Bible, to the Word of God. Wouldn't it be great, let's just imagine, if God had described who he is to us in the Bible, and then we could study and we could learn from that? Well, as you probably have guessed, good news, God did exactly that, describing Who he is. So, if you have a Bible with you, whether that's electronic or physical, now's the time to get it out. We'll be turning to the Book of Exodus in chapter 34, um, but we also will have the verses up on the screens if you don't have a Bible with you. But before we get to those verses, before we read our verses, just a little bit of context. Moses, the Israelite leader, has brought the ancient Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. And they're on their way to freedom in a new land that has been promised to them. And so far, it really has not been smooth sailing at all. It has been a bumpy ride. And you know what? That's going to continue for the next 40 years. But I'm getting ahead of myself and giving you spoilers. If you want to know more, read the Bible. But Moses, the Israelite leader, has a really unique relationship with the Creator God. We read in chapter 33, verse 11, that God would speak to Moses face-to-face as one speaks to a friend. Now Moses is asking for God to go with the Israelites step-by-step on this journey to the promised land that they are taking. At one point he says to God, now show me your glory. In ancient Hebrew, which is what the Old Testament is written in, To say, show me your glory, meant let me see your presence, let me see who you really are, let me see you in person. God then tells Moses that actually he can't reveal his full glory to him, as it would just be too much for him, and Moses would surely die. But instead, God will pass by Moses, whilst Moses is hidden in this cleft, or this crack, in the rock. And as God passes by, God says that he will proclaim his name. Hold on, what? God has a name? I thought it was God. Anyway, the next day, Moses gets up, hides in this cleft in the rock, and that is where we pick it up in Exodus 34, verse 6. Are you there? One person is. Excellent. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to the thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. What? That's a little bit odd. Trust me, we will get to that in a few weeks' time. When you find out really what that verse is saying, your mind hopefully will be blown. It is so good. So stick with us over this series. We'll explain that a little bit more. Anyway, this is a watershed moment. Everything changes after this. This is one of the few times in the Bible when God actually describes himself, where God says, this is who I am. And because of that, this passage is the most quoted part of the Bible by the Bible. Literally, time and time again, dozens of times, the writers of the Old Testament refer to and quote Exodus 34, verses 67. And it really isn't what we would expect for a description of God. Nowadays, when we're describing God, we might immediately go to what we call the omnis. Maybe you've heard of the omnis. He's omnipotent, which means he is all-powerful. He's omniscient, which means he's all-knowing. Omnipresent, he is everywhere at once. And all of that is true. But when God describes himself, He speaks of his character. He's compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love and faithfulness, etc., etc. Describing God with the omnis is like someone asking me to describe my long-suffering wife, Esther, and me responding with, well, she's 5'7", Chinese race from Singapore, she's got black hair, brown eyes, She's 40, oh, and obviously she's beautiful. Now, all of these things are true, but they don't really describe her. They're just facts about her. Instead, if I describe her as kind, compassionate, patient, stubborn, long-suffering, loving, did I mention stubborn? Yes, apparently I did. If I describe her that way, then you get to know her more than you do by just knowing that her hair is black. That is how God describes himself, by talking about his character. It's how we can get to know God more. And this is what this series really is all about. Understanding how God describes himself by the declaration of his name in Exodus 34, and thereby knowing who God is more. Now, each week, as we're going to take a part of Exodus, that part of Exodus 34, and we're going to take it line by line, and we're going to break that down and look at what that means by God having the name and and those various parts of his characteristic. But today, I'm just going to focus on what it means for God to have a name by looking at what that name is. And then we're going to link it to what does that tell us about how we live our life and how that affects or shapes our relationship with God. Is that okay? Yep, okay, great. So, as I said earlier, God declared his name as he passed before Moses, and that name was not God. In the version we read earlier in the NIV, the name was THE LORD in capital letters. That isn't really a good rendering of the name of God. I'll explain why in a bit. The real name of God is Yahweh. In the Lexham English Bible, which is a more literal Bible translation from the original Hebrew and Greek, translates Exodus 34, 6 as, and Yahweh passed over before him, and he proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, God, who is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding with loyal love and faithfulness. So why does it matter? Let me give you some context. In the ancient Hebrew world, a name meant more than just a label that you tell the barista in Starbucks to identify your coffee when you pick it up at the end of the counter. Other coffee shops are available. The Old Testament scholar Michael Knowles wrote, In the world of the Hebrew Scriptures, a personal name was often thought to indicate something essential about the bearer's identity, origin, birth circumstances, or the divine purpose that the bearer was intended to fulfill. So your name was your identity, your destiny, the revelatory nature of you. We see this a lot in the Old Testament. Just one example is the story of Abraham. Some of you may know it well. When God met him, his ne- um, when God met Abraham, his name was Abram, which actually means "exalted father." But after Abram's encounter with God, where God makes a promise to Abram that he will be the father of many nations, and that is who he was, that was who he is, then God renames Abram and makes his name. Abraham. And Abraham means father of many nations. It's more than a new label. It's a new identity. It's a new destiny. This whole names being destiny is something that is not unique to the ancient Hebrews. We kind of see it less, I think, in the Western world today. And I know that in the East, it still has some meaning. If you were listening earlier, then you will know that my wife, Esther is Singaporean Chinese. When we named our daughters, we wanted to take this tradition of naming our children with destiny in mind. So we chose both English and Chinese names for them. We chose the English names of Eleanor and Abigail simply because we liked them. And the logic kind of went that their friends could shorten it if they want, you know, to Abby or Ellie and By the way, you will never hear me calling them Abby or Ellie. I named them Abigail and Eleanor, end of. But their friends do call them Abby and Ellie. And bizarrely, so do their teachers. I tell you, it's, it's really hard to explain how odd it is when you go to a parents' evening and there's a teacher going, Abby does this, Abby does that, and me thinking, who's Abby? Anyway, slightly sidetracked. We, choose, we chose their names just because, well, in my honest opinion, they're great names. But their Chinese middle names have meaning, and we hope destiny. Eleanor's middle name is Jia Ping, which means purity and peace. And Abigail's middle name is Jia Sing, which means purity and joy. And I do think they embody those names. Although apparently, when it comes to Eleanor, peace does not necessarily mean being quiet. If you know her, then you'll understand what I'm talking about. My point is, and I do have one, is that names in the ancient Hebrew world were more than just a name, more than a label as we understand them today. They are the destiny, they are the nature of the person, especially when God gives you that name. So when God reveals his name to Moses, what he's really saying is he's revealing his identity to Moses, who he is, his nature. Now, this revelation is kind of the apex, if you like, the pinnacle of a long drawn out story that started at the very beginning of Genesis. God has revealed Who he is, he's named bit by bit until we get to this scene on the top of a mountain in Exodus 34. In Genesis, we start with the God who created. That's all we know. This mysterious creator God who created everything. Then later in the story, the creator comes to Abraham and he convinces Abraham to stop following all these Mesopotamian gods around them and go to a new land. Which Abraham goes and then becomes Abraham, the story I spoke of earlier. But despite the great relationship that existed between God and Abraham, God never revealed his true name to him. Abraham never learns God's name. Instead, God introduces himself as El Shaddai, God Almighty. God had to introduce himself in a way that Abraham would understand in his own context, in his own world context. El is the Canaanite word for king of the gods. You comic hit book hero super geeks out there um, might recognize the word El as it was used to describe the family of Superman. His name is Kal-El. He's of the house L. Just me then? Seriously, we need more geeks in this congregation. Anyway, I was quite excited by that, but hey, the only one. Back to El. So, El is the king of the gods, but Shaddai means more, better, victorious. So, El Shaddai is God Almighty. In other words, I'm like El. You'll know El because you know about the Canaanite gods around you, you know, the king of the gods. I'm like him, but so much more. That's how God introduced himself to Abraham. But most of the time, the creator God, El Shaddai, was just simply called the God of Abraham. Which God? Oh, the God my dad follows. Oh, That one, it really put a smile on my face this morning as we sang that song, God of my mothers and fathers. That's the same thing. Saying, yeah, you know that God, that God that my dad followed, that's the one we're talking about. And that theme actually continued. When the Creator God first introduces himself to Moses in Exodus 3, he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of of Jacob. In other words, I'm your dad's God. Moses and God then get into a conversation. And during this conversation, God convinces Moses to lead the Israelites out of opp- oppression and slavery in Egypt. And then Moses says to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Moses is thinking that apparently the God of your fathers just isn't going to cut it. Moses is saying, I need more than just referring to you as the God of my fathers. What's interesting, well, it's interesting for me anyway, is that in the original Hebrew, the phrase here, um, which is translated in English to what is his name, is Ma Shemo." To ask someone's name in ancient Hebrew... If you were going around the camps during that time, they would say, Mishimka. Mishimka means literally, who is your name? But Moses asks, Mashamo, which is literally, what is the significance of your name? So Moses isn't asking, what do I call you? He isn't asking, he, instead what he's doing is, he's asking, who are you? What are you like? What makes you, you? To which God answers, I am who I am. That's really helpful and clear. Thank you very much, God. That makes it perfectly understandable. In Hebrew, that is, "ehyeh asho, ehyeh," And another way of translating that Hebrew phrase is, whatever I am, I will be. Meaning, God is consistent. He is the same 24-7. If He is compassionate, then He is compassionate all the time. If He is gracious, then He is gracious all the time. If He is slow to anger, then He is slow to anger all the time. You can trust God to be consistent. So back to the story. God tells Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. If you're paying attention, then you might be thinking, hold on, you first said God's name was Yahweh, then you said God's name is I am who I am, and now you've Switched it back to Yahweh again. What gives? Be consistent yourself. It's a great question. Thank you, Michelle, for asking it. The answer is very technical and geeky. And I would love to spend a couple of hours discussing it in more detail. But I'm pretty certain that 99.9% of you wouldn't love it at all. So, bottom line. ehi means I am. Yahweh means he is. So when God says his name, eh Ehier, when we say his name, Yahweh. Got it? Clear as mud? Fine. Now, whilst we are touching on the subject of complex ancient Hebrew, Yahweh is incredibly hard to translate into English. The reason is scholars are kind of guessing at what the vowels are. The ancient Hebrew was written without any vowels. So Yahweh is actually written Y-H-W-H, which is actually pronounced in ancient Hebrew as yod Now, it's anglicized to Yahweh, makes it much easier for all of us, so I think we're going to stick with that. The fact that many translations, though, translate Yahweh as the Lord, as a direct translation, does not help. I can see you're really intrigued, so I'm just going to give you a quick explanation. The Hebrews wanted to avoid saying the, name out, saying, saying the name of God out loud, so as not to accidentally break one of the Ten Commandments. As you may know, one of the Ten Commandments is, you shall not misuse the name of Yahweh, your God. And so, the religious Jews, just to be really, really, really sure, they decided to err on the side of safety, and they started to use the Hebrew word for Lord instead, which is Adonai. And so every translation of Yahweh became Adonai, which is then translated into English as the Lord. And now we call God Lord almost without thinking. I certainly do. And that isn't wrong, because you know what? He is Lord. He is the Lord of our lives. But I think we miss out on something key when we refer to God as Lord rather than by his name, Yahweh. The reason is because Lord is a title. It's not a name. It would be like me calling Esther the wife. Technically true, but I think it lacks relational intimacy. Jesus took it one step further in relational intimacy stakes by teaching us to call God Father. One of the most relational names there is. And actually, the word Jesus used was even more intimate. It was more kind of like Daddy. You might think that that's a little childish. Daddy? That's a little childish? But let me tell you, no matter how old your kids get, when they call you that, it is amazing. For example... My daughters are nearly 17 and 19. And when they occasionally call me daddy, then my heart just melts. And they get anything they want. Actually, hold on. That might be why they do it. Anyway, joking aside, I think we should get into the habit of calling God by his name, Yahweh. Not by his title, Lord. There's a bit of a challenge for you. So, the name of God is Yahweh. But God didn't really answer Moses' question in Exodus 3.13 fully. What is the significance of your name? And it would have to wait until Exodus 34 before God fully declares his name. Okay, I'm circling the runway. I can see Michelle keeps looking at her non-existent watch on her wrist. So, um, I'll crack on. I want to remove one more misunderstanding before I finish today. And that is this misunderstanding that some people have. That Yahweh is effectively a parallel for God the Father of the New Testament. And I think that's dangerous because I think it has led some people in the past to think of Yahweh as being like the the grumpy old dad, the grumpy old warmonger of the Old Testament. And that Jesus is actually the really cool, loving, tolerant, full of grace son, who's going, come on, dad, let's not kill everyone. How about I die for them instead? I think that's a misreading of the story that the Bible tells. Actually, Jesus is the very embodiment of Yahweh. In John 17, Jesus says in his prayer to the Father, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Jesus says, I have manifested your name. Some translations say revealed, but I prefer the ESV and that word manifest. Jesus is the unmistakable embodiment of Yahweh. Yahweh is the name of God, the triune God. That's God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One last thing as I land. Some of you might be thinking, great, so God's name is Yahweh. How does that apply to me? Well, first, make sure that you join us in the coming weeks as we look into each part of God's name that he declared. Um, We'll be covering each part as we go through the series. But secondly, today, I know that I have covered a lot. And you're like, whoa. But if there is one thing I would like you to take away from today, and it is this, that God is a relational being. What do I mean by that? Well, God wants to be in relationship with us. He has a name, Yahweh. He's not an impersonal energy force. He's a being who wants to relate to us. This isn't about knowing a bunch of intellectual head knowledge or facts about God. This is about knowing that more than anything, Yahweh wants to know us and be known by us. Exodus 33.11, I said earlier, says that Yahweh spoke to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. That is relational. God wants us to speak to him as one speaks to a friend. Maybe that starts with us spending time in his presence, speaking with Yahweh, calling him by his name, conversing with him. That is what prayer is. Prayer isn't about coming to an impersonal God and with a shopping list of our wants. Prayer is about entering into a conversation with Yahweh, bringing all of our highs and lows to him, hearing what he has to say on it. But also, you know, God responds when we relate to him. Throughout the Bible, we see that Yahweh responds. Let me end on this. Dallas Willard, the Christian philosopher and author in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, great book, by the way, um, do highly recommend it, wrote in relation to the question of whether God responds to our prayers, he wrote this. And God's response to our prayers is not a charade. It does not pretend that he is answering our prayer when he is only doing what he is going to do anyway. Anyway. Our requests really do make a difference in what God does or does not do. The idea that everything would happen exactly as it does regardless of whether we pray or not is a spectre that haunts the minds of many who sincerely profess belief in God. It makes prayer psychologically impossible, replacing it with dead Ritual at best. And of course, God does not respond to this. You wouldn't either. Enter into a relationship with Yahweh. Converse with Yahweh in prayer. And as a challenge, see Him respond. If you're able to, then please stand.